With me, I just find apocalypse things really soothing. <laughs> I just put them on. My biggest issue with the film was that the story itself, you know, it seemed that like <laughs> there was no beginning, no end, but somewhere between. <laughs> so yes, that's an amazing film. At this scene when they're doing the drag bit, iconic. I don't know, I've never seen it. Probably never will. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Flipswatch Podcast. Today I'm joined by Mel. Hello. Bethany. Hello. And Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about Bird Box. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello, film fans. Welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Our guests today are Bethany and Mel. Over to you, please, Mel, to say hello and tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Hello, everyone. I'm Mel and I'm a mother of two. I work as a product marketing officer for Intelligent Health, who is a company that aims to build active communities. So I mainly focus on working on a program that was built to encourage people to change behaviour. It's very interesting. I'm very into the uh, health and also the nutrition. So I have started my study as a nutritionist coach. So you're doing a few things. They're wearing a few hats. I work with a few startups and the product marketing person is a key person I tend to work with in, in the team. You can help really drive the acquisition, to use a marketing phrase, <laughs> for products and stuff. <laughs> yes. And you work with Bethany over there. Yeah, that's how our life started together, actually. <laughs> so uh, it's a good, nice friendship, I guess. And Bethany, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm Bethany. I'm currently a partner marketing executive at Intelligent Health with Mel. And we work kind of in the same team, but across different things. But our mutual kind of interest is the podcast we work on, which is called Movement is Life. Um, and it kind of covers all different kinds of topics, really, mainly focused around health and being active, but looking at all sorts of things from like menopause to the scale can, canal and river trust and things like that as well. We're back with our second season in May, just been recording with some really great guests in the meantime. And you can check us out on Spotify or Apple if you want to. Otherwise, I've done other personal podcasts in the past. One of them that I'm quite proud of is to do with invisible disabilities. So that's called disability and kind of shining a light on like things that people might not realise from like anxiety to depression and all sorts, really. But I've kind of worked across communications and over audio, really. And why did you guys start the podcast in the first place with the company? Because it's something I've known when companies have done that, they've seen a real benefit to doing so. Yeah, I feel like we kind of just wanted to expand how we could reach people. And because we're funded by Sport England as well, it was another way we could kind of reach people and kind of reach, because our main kind of audience at the moment is stakeholders within that kind of industry. So it's quite niche, really. So we're kind of reaching a really particular audience and 
we've had amazing support from the company. They've been really behind us, which has been really helpful. And kind of, we're really excited about the second season because we feel like in the first one, we've learned a lot. So we think the next one will hopefully be amazing. Yeah, Helen, you used to help one of the companies you work for. You brought the podcasting idea to them, didn't you? And like helped produce it and stuff like that. Yeah, a couple of them actually. Yeah, so it's a great way to talk about your work and get other people involved in it at the same time. So um, it's always great when companies get behind a podcast and give you enough time and resources to be able to do it as well. Definitely. So today we're going to be talking about Bird Box, which is your choice, Bethany. First of all, can you tell us why you chose it? And then I'll get the timer up and you'll have 60 seconds or less to tell us the synopsis. So why I chose the film was I basically love Sandra Bullock and I also love apocalyptic films. So for me, it's kind of like the perfect choice because it ticks both those boxes. I remember watching it when it first came out back in 2018 and just instantly I was hooked from the first opening scene. I was just immediately in it and it kind of seemed to be that period of monsters being around and other things like approaching and things like that and it was a real kind of wave of those kinds of films and it was kind of like right before the pandemic as well which is kind of odd watching it now in hindsight I noticed quite a few things that seem quite weird even like little phrases they said I'm a bit like this is a bit odd now but yeah that's kind of why I chose it because I've loved her since I was quite young basically I've watched pretty much all of her back catalogue including Miss Congeniality 2 Yes, that's an amazing <laughs> film. <laughs> the scene when they're doing the drag bit, iconic. I don't know, I've never seen it. <sighs> Probably never will. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I, oh. I quite like the first one, but I just thought they don't need to do a second one. They didn't really need to, but I feel like the comedy value in the second one is kind of worth it for that alone. Okay, I'm going to bring up the timer. You have 60 seconds to give us a synopsis now. So it's five years after an ominous unseen presence and it basically drives most of society to committing suicide. So it's quite intense from the off. And it's basically Sandra Bullock's the main character and then she's got two little kids with her and it's basically their bid to try and reach safety together. It's quite tense, on the edge of your seat, thriller. You're kind of thinking about survival all the way through and there's lots of different touches upon apocalypse, but then there's also kind of societal values and a mix of everything, really. Very nice. Awesome. One thing that terrified me in your introduction there was that uh, this came out in 2018 and that is horrific. I can't believe it's been that long since it came out. Because I watched it when it first came out and it seemed quite fresh. Yeah, And also there's direct comparisons with Quiet Place, which also must have been then, which also kind of terrifies me that that amount of time has just like literally gone by in a flash. Helen, Mel, have you seen this before? And what were your thoughts on this rewatch? Yes, I actually, I have to admit that I just saw it a few days ago, actually, because uh, this whole kind of apocalyptic movies is really not my thing. But I was actually really surprised because I got something else what I expected. So it's not as gory as I expected, for example, at all. And I love Sandra Bullock, so I think she's one of the most or greatest A-list stars. But, I mean, in terms of how she is able to express herself and, you know, how the camera can capture in close-ups, you know, just her face can turn to and reflect any kind of emotions 
absolutely perfectly well to me. So, but yeah, it was quite interesting. <laughs> Let's say that. <laughs> How does it, I mean, so this is the first time you've seen it, is it, Mel? Absolutely. The very first time. So when it came out, I was about to watch, but then I just, uh, and I started the movie and it, it seemed less interesting to me and then obviously i when i watched it actually i said to myself that well okay it wasn't too scary so my biggest issue with the film was that the story itself you know it seemed that like <laughs> there was no beginning no end but somewhere between <laughs> so helen so i hadn't seen this before it's one of the ones that had basically been on my Netflix list since about 2018 and I've gone yeah oh oh wait oh wait maybe someone will pick it maybe someone will pick it maybe someone won't pick it maybe I should watch it oh it's two hours and four minutes maybe I'll wait for that one I think the reviews were mixed and maybe that had put me off man it is bleak but I really love bleak stuff. So this this was right up my street. And people who were just saying it's not very good, they just don't know what they're missing because it's super bleak and it's a little bit like your favourite bleak favourites like The Road and The Mist. And it's very M. Night kind of vibes going on. And I find Susan Beer quite an interesting director anyway. But yeah, it, it's kind of a little bit creepy. It's really depressing. There's some kind of mysterious stuff going on. So I'm, I'm really glad that how many years has it been since it came out and been on my list that it's finally been watched. So thank you. <laughs> Start ticking off that list that you're hoping that... Okay, because you've got a few things on the list, like The Irishman, which are things whereby... Because they're Netflix films, you'd imagine they would always stay on there. Yeah. We're watching no matter what. But there's a few things like recently, we've always had that Jim Carrey film. Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, Eternal Sunshine, which is, comes out for a year and then goes off for a year and then comes back for a year. So we're always like, someone will pick it, someone will pick it, someone will pick it. And then someone did pick it. And it went. And then it just went <laughs> off like literally the next day and we're like, no. But this is never but this left. Is one because it's a Netflix, <laughs> Yeah, because it's a Netflix original, this is going to stay on. Which So this is fine. I can understand that. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't watch this, Helen, when it first came out. Did you watch A Quiet Place? Yes, which I, I love. And I kind of feel as though it's a little bit unfair to kind of talk about them as if it's stealing stuff from The Quiet Place because because this is based on a, a book that came out before that was conceived. So I, th- I feel as though sort of saying this is a no-eyes version of A Quiet Place and not as good is a little bit unfair because it came before it. And there's some sort of similarities, but I feel that saying it's it's stealing from it or because the timings, they all came around at the same time. I don't think anyone is stealing off each other. I think that was one, that was one of the main critiques is that people were saying it's too close to the quiet place. And therefore it was like, well, if you don't have a chance to watch one of them, then go and watch a quiet place. Because, I mean, essentially, if you watch a quiet place in the cinema, it was an awesome like experience watching it in the cinema. And then it is kind of like not reductive but then the experience watching this at home i think it's got some flaws got a few things not just the whole story as as mel said. <laughs> what's wrong with the film the just story, the story. It's just, it's, yeah just the story nah. i think there's some pieces in the film which i think could on second on, on rewatch could do with a bit of work but i think it's still like a hey it's i don't find it so bleak i thought it was a bit of a romp a bit of like a apocalyptic romp kind of thing and your question is do they get to the place they're supposed to get to and other films they wouldn't have done. 
So it's kind of, I feel it's kind of a happy ending-ish in a way. Obviously, everyone else dies along the way. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot, I, you don't think it's bleak. So she calls the boy and girl, boy and girl, because well, she doesn't want hmm. to name them, which is bleak. And so basically the concept is, is you look at this thing and it makes you want to kill yourself. Except there's a group of people who can look at it and they don't kill themselves, but they carry it and then they transfer it onto other people because they want them to see it and they want... That's really bleak. That's super, super dark. Oh, it is, I mean, there's darkness, but like I said, at the end there are the, the boy and the girl. They get to the place with the birds and they, you know, they find out what their real names are. And the names are after people who they've met, who Sandra Bullock's characters have met along the way, you know, and it's like, okay, so maybe these guys will be okay. And randomly her obstetrician is there as well. Do- <laughs> Dr. Neela. She's not called Dr. Neela, <laughs> yeah. yes, but you know, it's the fifth time that Parminder Nagra has played doctor on screen. Oh, really? Is that who that is? Bendit like Beckham? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And So now she's yeah. in the ER, which and is the ER. the yeah. main... And then she's also, I think she did a role recently where she was a doctor again. I mean, she's great. I love her. I think she's great. And she does do a very good doctor. And it was nice seeing her in this. Oh, I'd like to just, see her in more films. She just cannot get rid of this role, probably. <laughs> Never, ever. It's interesting you speak about the ending because the ending of the book, I didn't realise this until looking it up, but it's actually a lot more bleak than the film. <laughs> so you're saying the film is quite bleak. The book is that people, because obviously at the end they go and they go to this sanctuary and it's kind of a blind school and that's how they've survived and all of that. But in the book, people have actually forced themselves to be blind so they can survive. So it's a lot more, so there is a bit of a Hollywood kind of twist in that instance that it's kind of more upbeat. I kind of noted down re-watching it about how she says about the boy and the girl and it's kind of not until they're like at that safe point she can name them. And it's very much like you kind of see her in survival mode for the majority of the film. And it's maybe the last few minutes you kind of see the kind of realisation of what she's kind of done to the kids. But she's been in that protective mode constantly that she's not had a chance to stop or kind of just even breathe for five seconds. And it was also interesting seeing about at the start how she is kind of even considering whether she's going to keep the baby because that she's given that adoption like pamphlet and things like that and it kind of then does the 180 because she kind of ends up adopting this other baby as well. So it's kind of completely flipped. Like I noticed a lot more things like that on rewatching it. I think I've watched it about five times in total, but... Oh, wow. On this latest rewatch, you've noticed these things? Yeah, I think because I was like looking at it in a more kind of analysis way, whereas in the past I kind of just... I don't know, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just find apocalypse things really soothing. <laughs> <laughs> I just put them on. How do you compare it to like zombie apocalypses? Yeah, I find it's really interesting. I kind of got into things like that when I did my undergrad, because one of the modules we studied was specifically on zombie as a genre and learning about that. And there's actually a lot of theory. What was your undergrad? Sorry. I did media studies and I did zombie as like a fun one in my final year. I would love to have done that. Yeah. It was so good. And I, that's when I got into The Walking Dead and all these things started happening. And I was like, I don't know, it just made my brain happy. And from then I'm kind of like, it's almost like preparing myself. And obviously when the pandemic then happened, I was honestly convinced it was going to be like that because right at the start, it was very kind of eerie and even watching this film there's lots of eerie things and them being like oh there's this thing that's come from Russia and 
it's very much kind of, oh, this thing's coming from China, but is it going to be here? And then a few months later down the line, I don't know. It was already watching it with that kind of hindsight as well, I think. Was it even a few months down the line? Was it like quite instant? It was in the news that morning. Yeah. Because Sandra Bullock's character's sister was saying about it. And that's when they turned on the news and then it was like literally... Right there. Yeah, within four, within four hours it was there. Mm. And with The Walking Dead, which is a TV show set against the similar kind of thing, and that's just finished recently, that had a pandemic which spread within a day from Jakarta all the way through to the States. Going out with their masks for their eyes, but we had masks for our mouths. Don't forget your mask! Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, I forgot my mask. Everyone needs to go back. What did you guys make of the of the people in the house that they kind of bunked in together with to start off with? A lot of stupid people, I thought. But they kind of gave you the range of characters, didn't they? In like a typical kind of sci-fi type film that you'd get, like the really silly character. But I thought it was interesting. Obviously, the first character they let in, she then obviously lets the bad character in. So it's kind of like they've already made that mistake by letting her in. It was interesting you mentioning about the ones that open their eyes and do that as well, because there's a lot kind of like related to the mental health side, which is quite interesting. And because they're meant to have escaped from an asylum, it's like it doesn't affect them in the same way because, I don't know, they're kind of wired differently, which is interesting. But yeah, a real range of characters, I'd say. Helen, which of the actors, there's quite a range of prominent actors in the mix. Is there anyone that, that kind of sparked your interest for good or bad? Yeah, John Malkovich, obviously. He plays a kind of like a uh, grumpy sort of villainous character quite well. So I think he was having a lot of fun in that. And Tom Hollander as Gary? Is it Gary? Oh, Gary, the know. house owner. Is it, is it Gary? No, no, the just, house owner was... Uh, oh, there's, oh the, the other one, yeah. House owner was B.D. Wong, who has been in all the Jurassic Park films. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, well, Karen, Helen, I didn't interject. Danielle McDonald. And of course, Sarah Paulson at the very short at the beginning. What about yourself, Mel, in terms of those actors? Did any of them kind of stand out to you or anything you want to take away from that first bit, particularly when they're in the house and they, they're kind of working out how to do things? And little Elroy was up there as well, wasn't he? Oh, yes. That is his name. I didn't recognise him, so he was... He's in a few films, but most notably he was in... Get Out. She was in Get Out. He played the main character's best friend who worked in the in the airport. The one who saves him at the end, Daniel Kaluuya's best friend. And he's, he's been in a few other films, so I recognise him quite often. And then you have the, the guy who played Black in Moonlight as well. The third iteration of Chiron was there as well. So it's quite it's kind of a stacked cast there, really. I, was quite, I, I mean, watching it again, I was quite surprised at how many people were in there. And Netflix have this thing where we've had some like, really expensive films and they're expensive because of the cast, and they need to pay the cast. Like The Grey Man was the most expensive film, but not because of what's on the screen, but because they've had to pay everyone a large sum of money. And I think this must have been like a fair to middling one, because I'm sure Sandra Bullock was the highest paid person ever. Markovic would have commanded a, a decent fee. And all the others kind of combined would have been like a hefty sum, but I think it would have been weaker without it. And I think the other, oh, there's three characters in the house, the old lady and the guy and girl who are having sex with each other, they were the kind of most more forgettable of the people there. I think as well. So I think it does kind of pay to have higher quality actors in these kind of roles, right? I think you need those bigger characters in it because I find that with films like this, when you kind of get a big name star, 
it's always, oh, they're a big name. So are they going to last all the way through or are they going to do a scream and bump them off in like the first five minutes? So I think having those bigger names sometimes makes you a bit more invested in whether those characters are going to make it and adds to that tension. Whereas if they're sort of all completely sort of new or not very well known, then you're like, well, any of them can die because I don't know. I've never seen them before. I don't have an emotional kind of connection with them. Yeah. So going back to yourself, Mel. Yeah, absolutely. So I can agree that big names can obviously support the movie journey. But that, that's why I actually I expected John Markovich to survive this whole kind of <laughs> apocalyptic events but unfortunately he he didn't without spoiling it and so Sarah Paulson yeah she's she's a very interesting choice actually as a sister of Sandra Bullock Bullock's character obviously and really her entrance is just very short but I can agree that all the characters in in the movie especially at the at the beginning of the story when they all stuck in the house it's quite interesting to see how they have changed day by day and living together and loads of tensions and who want to protect themselves not to let anyone in who had that kind of human feelings towards everyone else yeah so it's was actually that kind of 10-15 minutes of the movie was, was very interesting to me so it is interesting when you kind of think there's a lot of tropes that were falling, they were doing like letting the next person in or going into places they shouldn't do. And yeah, I think that's where on this rewatch, a few of the points kind of fell down for me. Markovich's character I thought is a bit, it was a bit much. <laughs> yeah. Although he lost his wife within the first five minutes, but didn't once kind of mourn her. He just kind of went into like in, in more insanity. Obviously people react differently in, like, in the face of lots of things going on, but he just kind of, it was a bit much for me, <laughs> I thought. Yeah, yeah, I could agree. But I think if you just think about that fear, I think it's a very strong feeling, emotion. So that can change people's behaviour quite rapidly and and deeply. So, yeah, maybe he just had to emphasise this fact that as human, we we all can behave like this. But, yeah, I can agree that probably it was slightly bit too much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can say. Is there anything else you want to say, guys, before we head to the scores? I had a couple other points in terms of, I really like the kind of cinematography that they use in terms of like the POV kind of shots that you kind of get throughout it. Because at points I felt that that was very much kind of, I know The Last of Us has just come out recently and that's obviously based on a video game. But it kind of, for me, felt very much like you were being her character and you were kind of immersed more into the film in that way as well, which was quite a nice aspect to have. And I know when they were shooting, she actually kept the blindfolds on and she like had to learn how to row and she didn't know all of these things and she obviously had to learn them like that as well. But another thing that I found quite interesting is the different elements you have through the film. They really touch upon the senses because obviously the blindness they can't see, but they focus more on the elements of like the wind and things like that. Or if they were, when they were in the car going to the supermarket, the senses of the car and different things like that as well, which I didn't really pay that much attention to that the first few times I kind of watched it. So it was quite interesting to sort of see that. And also the use of time in the film as well. 
as soon as it begins, it's saying it's foreshadowing everything that's kind of going to happen. But then it's flitting in and back from like them being on the river or them being somewhere else. So I thought that was quite interesting. But I can kind of see what Mel was saying earlier, that that's a bit bitty as well, because it kind of, it makes it a bit more choppy. But for me, I found that worked. So yeah, I feel like there's so many things you could say. I think you're right. There's paints a lot more. Is there anything else guys want to say before we head to the scores? No? Okay. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow Stripped Media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song, and Kobe from Flixwatcher, and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast, or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. So welcome to the Flixwatcher scores. All of the scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, please, Bethany, with your recommendability. So for recommendability, I'm going to give it a 4.3 because I feel like the film covers quite a lot of themes within the genre itself. And therefore, I feel like it appeals to a wide range of viewers. Yeah. Mel? I would say 4.1. So guys, you have to see it because you can get more than you expect. It's basically a great survival thriller movie. <laughs> I like it from someone who said they were kind of scared of apocalyptic films. You come like, <laughs> like full circle. In terms of recommendability, let's see how the rest of the scores pan out. Helen? I'm going to give it a solid four. I really, really liked it, but I do think there are some slightly big plot holes and some slightly iffy bits of the story which I'm happy to kind of gloss over because I was just enjoying the vibes and I hadn't seen it before so it was all kind of fresh and new but I feel that some people might just go it's not as good as The Quiet Place and write it off and which I think is probably a little bit unfair and yeah Sandra Bullock's kind of great in it she just seemed like someone who's just like really 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 desperate and just has really had enough of it and she does that really really well. Yeah, let's go for four as well. I enjoyed it, and I think it's fairly reductive to compare it too closely to The Quiet Place. But if you do like this kind of genre of apocalyptic films, and especially post-pandemic, where a few more of these kind of entities come out on film and TV, and I think it's, it's a fair one. I think a lot of horror films, of which this you may or may not class as horror, but a lot of films have those that tropes of people who do things which seem a bit insane or nonsensical, but... You know, that's part and parcel of these kind of films and kind of deal with it. I don't think anything too stupid. I think BD1's character was quite interesting, actually, his idea of like seeing them through the, the monitor. But at the same time, I'm like, do you need to do that? Just don't look at them. <laughs> Repeat viewing score. Yeah, I think I'd give it a four. Because like I said earlier, I've watched it about five times since it was released. I think the pandemic kind of stopped me watching it for a bit because it became too realistic and I was a bit like mm, <laughs> not sure but yeah I kind of feel like I get something different each time I watch it so I enjoy it yeah I would give four as well just because at the very end I felt like okay I got something even if sometimes I felt that I found some kind of cliche having the birds and 
a paper box to survive the river journey anyway. So, but even with that, I think the movie itself was <laughs> Anyway, so <laughs> I got what I expect. Oh no, I got more than I expected. So you will watch it again, you reckon? In a distance, that's what, yeah. Yeah, that's what the reviewing <laughs> score is about, how much you anticipate rewatching it again or how many times you have watched it already. I would rewatch it, definitely, yeah. Well, this is only my first time I've watched it and it's been out for, what, four years, five, five years. years. I mean, the likelihood of me watching it again is not that high, but I wouldn't be adverse to it. I don't know when, maybe in another five years. I'm not sure. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt as it would be some, it is like a, a kind of comfort sort of film for me. So maybe three. Sure. I'm going for 2.5. I don't think I'll watch it again now. I've seen it twice. It did surprise me that it's been four or five years since I watched the first time. And like I said, that's the most terrifying thing about this whole film. I really thought it was like came out two years ago. If someone asked me when it came out, I would have thought like two years ago. And I'm not sure where I sit with these kind of films in general because I loved The Quiet Place, loved it in cinema, I haven't rewatched it. I thought this film was good. I haven't seen The Quiet Place Part 2 yet. So it's, it's made this kind of weird thing where it's a weird genre for me. Um, let's go to small screen score. Bethany. I think I'd give it a 3.5 because kind of how you've been saying about A Quiet Place, I saw that in the cinema and it was so tense. And as much as this is tense watching it at home, it just doesn't have that same effect for me. You kind of, it isn't as immersive because of that. And you don't feel so on the edge of your seat to that extent. But I do think it's interesting kind of how Netflix are kind of now in particular showing more things as like limited releases in the cinema and then are bringing it back to their platform and things like that. So that's like, I feel like this film would have gained from doing that potentially almost having like a week in the cinema and then going to the streaming platform because it just went immediately to Netflix. But yeah, I think it would have been more tense if I saw it in the cinema, first of all. Yeah, I think that's a newish thing. They did that with Luther recently and they've done that, they did that with Glass Onion before Christmas. And yeah, it was, it was great fun seeing Glass Onion with people. I'm not sure I need it, I'll need to see Luther with, with people. So it's, it's, but it's quite nice that going to the cinema is nice, generally. Sorry, Mel, what's your small screen score? And let us know if you want an explanation of the scores at any point as well. Yeah, well, I can agree that actually this 3.5 is good grade, but I, yeah, I would give a kind of similar 3.3 because it would be more scary in, in a cinema big screen rather than just in a computer or your phone. <laughs> Probably it, it just can get the same effect, definitely. So they should have thought about that when they released. Helen? Yeah, I'd have liked maybe the opportunity to have seen this at the cinema. It's always fun going to see these kind of films at the cinema because when the end happens and kind of like the film ends and you can just hear people go, what the fuck have we just watched? Or like, what was that ending? Or like, how did that happen? What? I always find that quite entertaining, whereas you can say it to yourself and you're like, well, I don't know. It's it's nice to have that universal kind of bewilderment and fear. So I'm going to give it a four. Yeah, I think it worked quite well. I mean, both times it's on, the, on the small screen is more is effective this time. Yeah, both times we're watching on big TV versus laptop and or uh, monitor. I don't want to compare it to The Quiet Place, but I'm going to compare it to The Quiet Place in terms of cinematic experience. And I think what The Quiet Place had was that because there's like no sound or there's very little sound in there, which meant that everyone else had to be in that zone as well at the same time. It's just like, I think it's a singular, unique experience for me in the cinema, which isn't going to happen with this one because 
they just don't need that kind of soundscape, really. They can really be eating all the popcorn in this and just kind of laughing at stupid things, things you find stupid, things you find scary. You just get into it into a different way. So I don't think you need to watch it on the big screen. So I'm going to go for 4.5. Yeah, I think it's quite good on the small screen. Engagement score. I would give it a 4.5 for engagement because even after the amount of times I've seen it, it still holds my attention. I do kind of think you need to be in the right mood to watch it though, because you kind of need to be in that zone to really immerse yourself into that kind of landscape because it is sometimes a bit unrealistic. But yeah, I would give it a 4.5. Yeah. Yeah, I would give it a four because it surprised me how engaging it, it was actually. I watched it in the afternoon, I have to admit. So not in the darkness and alone in my living room or things like that. The kids were around, but obviously not in the same room. But I could watch it in one go. So with, without any stop. And That's the metric. <laughs> absolutely. So <laughs> I think a four is a fair score. Helen? Yeah, I was pretty engaged. What I particularly liked about it is that there's very little kind of backstory. It's basically like she's doing some painting, she's in the hospital. They're like, oh, this weird thing might happen. And then it happens and you're like, yes, no waiting around, no lengthy introductions. I guess it kind of like lags a little weirdly when they're on the river, when it's they're just kind of like it's quite a long journey there. But yeah, I was pretty engaged. So yeah, I'm going to give it 4.5 actually. Yeah. I'm getting this is the second time watching it. I was I was less engaged the second time, but I was intrigued certainly the first time. I don't quite like the flashback, flash forward business because immediately you're like, oh, I, oh, Sandra makes it. And those two kids are probably the kids that are in her and the other person's belly. So it becomes a question of joining the dots as to when the other people fall away from the story and leave those two behind. And then there's always like, that, then there's that five years later business as well, which I, it's not a lazy thing, but it's like, that's, it kind of takes me out of the game when it's like a five years later or a few months later. So, but yeah, 3.2, I'm going to say, because as, as a combination of both watches, it gives us an overall score of 3.83750. That's pretty good. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was going to be. Yeah. So Mel and Bethany, can you sign off by telling everyone who's listening where we can find you online? And if they want to listen to your podcast, of course, tell them where that is too. So you can head to either Spotify or Apple and type in Movement is Life and you should be able to find us on there. Or alternatively, you can go to our company website, which is www.intelligenthealth.co.uk and you should be able to find out any more information there. Or you can email us actually at podcast.intelligenthealth.co.uk. Multiple places. Awesome. Yeah, and tell them we sent you. Thank you very much for bringing A Quiet Place to us. <laughs> We have actually covered The Quiet Place. So if you do want to know what we do think about that, then once you finish listening to this, have listened to that and see. I think the scores are probably quite similar, maybe. So this is beating The Quiet Place. Dun, dun, dun. But it had a very low small screen score, which is... Oh, problem. okay. Because oh. the cinematic experience yeah. was like, everyone's behind it. So average scores for A Quiet Place, recommendability 4.825. Repeat viewing score, 3.25. Small screen score, 2.275. So it really lost a few points there. And engagement score, 4.4. So that gave an overall of 3.7. Whereas Burbox has a lower scores everywhere else apart from small screen score, which is 3.825. So yeah. So this is better for Netflix, is what we're saying here. Thank you very much for joining us, guys. And we'll see you, see you next time. Thanks for coming on. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 
enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast, why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter and we're at FlixWatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Rockwood Audio's editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them FlixWatcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.